New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Dogs are the best kinds of teachers because they teach us just by being themselves. No artifice, no theories. They pass on wisdom just by being. Our guest today, Hirsch Wilson, refers to himself and his family as dog-centric. For many decades, he's picked up advice and wisdom by the inclusion of dogs as part of his family and passes on this most informed advice. When in doubt, walk your dog. Canine companions have much to teach us if we take the time to pay attention and open ourselves up enough to listen and learn. And this is the subject we'll be exploring with our guest, Hirsch Wilson. Hirsch Wilson is an organizational consultant, pilot, former professional dancer, newspaper columnist, and volunteer firefighter. He lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico with his wife, Lori, a daughter, and two dogs, a Great Pyrenees and a Chihuahua Terrier mix. He's the author of Play to Win, Choosing Growth Over Fear in Work and Life. Firefighter Zen, a field guide to thriving in tough times. And Dog Lessons, learning the important stuff from our best friends. Join us for the next hour as we highlight the lessons that dogs have to teach us with our guest, Hirsch Wilson. I'm speaking with Hirsch from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Hirsch, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you. It's so great to have you on again. Uh, I know we we talked about the lessons of being a firefighter, and now here we are talking about dogs. Oh, goody. I'm so excited. I'd love for you to share with us. You don't talk about having us being owners of our dogs or our pets. You talk about being guardians. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Sure. So I think the the word owner to me has a lot of connotations um, that are, are negative. I think for example, when you own something, you have control over it, um, which means I can do anything I want with something I own. 
if I I own a car, if I don't like the car, I can sell the car. If I don't like the car, I can get rid of the car. And I just don't think that applies to dogs. Dogs are sentient beings. And when a being is sentient, you're not allowed to do anything you choose to an animal. So I, I choose the word guardian because guardian implies a couple of things. Guardian implies that my my responsibility is to take care of the animal, to keep them safe, to make sure they have a growthful life. And it also means that I that I have responsibility. If I'm tired of an animal, I can't get rid of it or turn it into a shelter. I need to I need to make a commitment for that entire animal's life. Um, and I think that's that's to me what guardian means. And that's why I so strongly advise using that word. It's just words are important. And I think uh, how we think about our animals is important. Let's talk about how long dogs have been companions to humans. I mean, I looked it up and I think it they turn from wolves to to dogs. They it was like 130,000 years old ago is that is that does that sound about correct it, it really depends on who you talk to um some say twenty thousand years some say 40 and some go way back to over a hundred thousand years but i think the point is that for millennia after millennia uh we've been partners with dogs we have co-evolved with dogs and by that i mean is that dogs have learned to trust us and to need us and we have learned to trust them and need them. Um, we often talk about dogs being uh, you know, our, our best friends, but I think it's, it's much deeper than that. Dogs are the first species that we, that we really brought into our homes. We have co-evolved, um, we depend on each other. And I often talk about how that, um, because of that long evolutionary history, sometime way back in history, um, a proto dog or a dog might have saved uh, um, a small tribe's life, uh, kept away predators, kept away invaders, and those those might be distant relatives of yourself. So, in in a lot of ways, dogs um, have, uh, are maybe the reason you're still here. Uh, there was a researcher who said that that dogs were dogs were one of the reasons we out competed uh, against Neanderthals, that we had dogs, Homo sapiens had dogs, and Neanderthals didn't. So there, this this goes way back. And, and again, it might be one of the reasons that we're still here today is because we had dogs way back in our history. Wow. I must tell our listeners that in reading your book, Dog Lessons, I cried, and I counted up how many times I cried. I cried seven times in, as I was reading the book. And one of the times was when I read about they dug up some remains mm. that were 40,000 years old, and it was a man and a woman and two dogs. And the thing that made me cry was her hand was on the dog, one of the dog's head. Mm, right. It's a remarkable story. And I think the, the researcher who was there said, there must be a story there. And it just goes to, it goes to the, our continued history with how, how important dogs have been with us. Sometimes we think that it's, it's just a modern 
thing that that has occurred that we're close to our pets and close to our dogs and because we're a comfortable society. But the fact is, it goes back years and years and years. And one of my favorite stories is of Ulysses. Um, and when he came home from the Peloponnesian Wars, he walked in and his dog Argos, who was 20 years old at the time, was bedraggled, laying on the floor. And Ulysses couldn't um, allow himself to be seen uh, because all the suitors for his wife, Penelope, were there and, and wanted to kill him. So he had to sneak in, pretend to be somebody else. But Argos recognized him and he stood up on shaky legs and went up and tried to greet him. But Ulysses couldn't recognize him, couldn't pay attention to him because he would give him away. But the legend has it is that Ulysses shed a tear for his dog Argos. And then after that passed, Argos knew his Ulysses was safe and home, and then he died. And it was just it just goes to um even back thousands and thousands of years ago, they understood how important dogs were and how important that relationship was. Well, you you tell that story in the book too, and that was one of the places yeah. where I cried, and I'm crying right now again. Yeah. It just it just makes me tear up at, at how loyal they are and how what what is it about I'm asking that question and I think you ask it too, why it brings us to tears. I, I don't cry about human beings like I, I cry about right animals and and it's most especially dogs for some reason do you have any idea what that's about uh i have a couple of suppositions one is um that when we talk about love the, the biochemistry of love it's about oxytocin um and there's been a lot of studies done that measure oxytocin levels in humans and in dogs and our oxytocin levels when we're our, when a dog comes you haven't seen a dog for a while and you and a dog comes in and sees you their oxytocin levels go up and our oxytocin levels go up and then they've done fmris studying a dog's uh, uh, an awake dog's brain and they notice that the same um brain circuitry is used when uh, a human mom sees her baby right and the same the same brain circuitry is lit up. So there's all kinds of biochemical reasons why we have that attraction. Um, I think the next is we're both um, bonding animals, humans and dogs. We're both we both evolved to belong in small tribes, small clans, and and, and to be codependent on our tribe um, or our you know our, our clan, and so. What we learn from dogs is that we're very similar in that way, that we that we need companionship, we need human companionship and dog companionship, and dogs need to be with us. Um, so there's there's uh, a lot of reasons why we have that attraction, and of course because we have that attraction, when there's loss, when it, when a dog dies or like a person dies, it it causes us to grieve which is the natural, normal thing. No one should tell you not to grieve for a dog. Um, no one should say it's just a dog. It's a, it's a tragedy, and it, it affects us deeply. So many people have said the same thing, that that when a, when 
they're more affected when a dog dies or when they lost their dog than some people. And I don't think, I think it's it's one of those things that we're not supposed to say, but it's true. It is true. It is true. And I, I'm just wondering if it's about uh, the the vulnerability uh, mm. that dogs are are more at effect of human kind. Right. Therefore, uh, it just like they're victims. They can be victimized by us, and right. I just it just breaks my heart. But one of the things you you mentioned briefly there um, is about dogs greeting us and. There's nothing better than to come home and boy if you have a dog that uh, that dog just greets us with such enthusiasm I describe that moment what that's like I think um so when our dogs when we used to have Bernese mountain dogs um who are big and lovable and and kind of crazy and we would come home and our dogs would bring toys to the door. They'd come back and bring their television remote. They were just so glad to see us. They'd jump up on us. Uh, they were just so happy. And I think that is, I mean, it's its its just undiluted love, right? They just want to be there with you. The number one most important thing is to be together. So when we come home after after an absence, they just show that. And that's, I think, it is what you said. It's like you can have a bad day, you can have be stressful, but being there with a dog and having a dog greet you just changes everything. Oh, doesn't it? Changes everything. I'm here with Hirsch Wilson, and he's the author of Dog Lessons, Learning the Important Stuff from Our Best Friends. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Hirsch Wilson, and if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, and he has some wonderful blogs there for you to read and keep up with, and his um, blog is hirschwilson.com, and he spells his first name H-E-R-S-C-H, hirschwilson.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website newdimensions.org. And we're talking about that greeting in the morning and their enthusiasm, and they really become family members. Mm -hmm. And as you say, when we come home, I think we also need to talk about um, 
how long we leave our dog companions alone. I was talking with our engineer, Lou Judson, just before the program, and he was talking about uh, a neighbor who just got a brand new puppy. And he said that the puppy was whining outside, like from like eight o'clock to to 10 o'clock at night, whining and whining. And it just reminded me of what you have to say about recognizing, especially a puppy, how long we can leave it alone. Right. I I think we've learned that lesson the hard way. Have you? Um, (laughs) Yes. So we know that we can. So the the fact is, when you have a dog in your life, you can't take it for granted. It's not a toy. Uh, You have to restructure your life a little bit in order to keep a pet healthy and happy. So we know that we can um, leave our dogs from, and they're grown up, but they're for a maximum of maybe four hours before there's not going to be consequences. We had German Shepherds a long time ago. And we left them with a house sitter who worked nine to five. And so she came home at work after work at five o'clock and our couch was torn up. There was wallpaper torn down, pillows scattered all over the floor. And it was just that the German Shepherd, one was only six months old, got frustrated and they act out. So, um, you know, it looked like we had been robbed, but <laughs> it was it was just a German Shepherd acting out. So I think what one of the, um, lessons you learn is that not everyone can have a dog. You have to have a schedule and you have to have the time and attention to pay to a dog in order to really be a healthy guardian. Well, that's such an important point because in, if you really want to have a dog, it's also a lifetime commitment. It's lifetime not just commitment. you have to figure out, hey, this yep. is a long-term relationship. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I think I, I volunteer occasionally at the Santa Fe Humane Society. And I think one of the saddest things is that when people bring their older dogs um, to the shelter because they can't deal with them because the dogs are ill uh, or they're just they just uh, don't have time to take care of them anymore. And I think we have to have a revolution in thinking about how we care for animals. It is a lifetime commitment. And it's, it can be sad at the end, but nothing is worse than taking an elderly dog to the shelter because you just can't deal with it anymore. Oh, I know. That's very sad. That's another part of the conversation I want to have with you. Mm-hmm. because. Let's suppose we commit to a dog, but our income is limited, especially like people on a fixed income, Mm -hmm. like seniors or, for example, I have close friends and out of them, three of them recently had to spend incredible amounts of money mm-hmm. to have their teeth the teeth fixed of their older dogs mm-hmm. uh one spent thirty five hundred dollars wow all of her life savings the rest oh, of her yeah. life savings for yeah. her dog her 18 mm. year old mm. dog another spent seven thousand dollars on on her dog for her teeth and a third 
is trying to decide how she can come up with $2,700. Okay, so the cost of veterinarian care and also the new procedures that are available Mm -hmm. now, it's expensive. Hirsch, for me, I would love to have a dog. I really would. But I don't think I can afford it when mm-hmm. I look at those sorts of statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say a couple of things. Uh, absolutely, that's true. Um, and and I think veterinary care has gotten much more sophisticated. So remember, 20 years ago, those dogs would just have been euthanized. They were They would have been put down. Now we have the ability, the veterinary care ability, to take care of those dogs, and so dogs are living longer. That's just what's going on. I think what's also happening is you can get uh, health insurance for your dog, right? And it's it's not cheap, but it's much less than $7,000 or $3,500 of outlay for one procedure. So uh, like all our, both our dogs have health insurance, and we had a, a burner, Bernice Mountain Dog, who had eye cancer, who had a fractured hip a couple times, uh, and ended up having stomach stomach cancer. And, you know, we're fortunate to be kind of middle class, but we had health insurance for the dogs. So it didn't cost us that much. But I think you're right. I think, I think again, it goes back to it is, it is a commitment that you have to think about, right? You have to, you have to understand, it, can I financially, can I emotionally, uh, can I work-wise have a dog in my life? And sometimes the answer is no. Right. That gives me heart. Thank you. Because if when you first get a dog, you don't wait too long until until it needs something. Right. And you inquire about insurance right then and see mm-hmm. if you can afford that, mm-hmm. that you put that into the equation right away. Exactly. That's a good idea. Exactly. I hadn't thought about that. Thank yeah. you. You, sure. I, I may be a, a guardian of a dog yet. Uh, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. One thing that I love, I'm not an early riser, but I, I love it that dogs and even cats can get us up in the morning with a kind of exuberance and enthusiasm. Uh, it, say something about that. Well, um, all our dogs, at, at whether they were German Shepherds long ago or our current dogs, they're on our bed at 7 o'clock every morning, uh, just wanting us to get up and get out of the day, take a walk, get fed, um, and they're ready to go. I am not ready to go. But having having a Chihuahua Terrier mix lick your face and just like try to try to you know bite your hands just to get you up and a great big great Pyrenees sitting on you in the morning is motivation to get up. Um, so that's when you know we talk about dogs run the schedule of the house because they know when we have to get up, they know when we have to take a walk, they know when they're supposed to get fed, and at night. Uh, nine o'clock at night, they're on the couch between us as we watch television, falling asleep. So they run the schedule. You describe, I mean, these Ber- Bernice mountain dogs, they are not small. They what, weigh 130 pounds. 130 and, pounds, and they're, yeah. They act like they're lap dogs. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they, they think they're lap dogs, for sure. But how about children and dogs? 
I grew up with dogs. Mm -hmm. That's why I have such a love for them. And they're just like, they were companions for me. I mean, truly. And you talk about how they were for you too growing up. So what about children and dogs? What do you have to say about the benefit of dogs with children? Um, I think it is a profound relationship for a child to have a dog. It teaches so much. Children are not necessarily the most empathic people in the world. And having a dog that they care for teaches them empathy, teaches them responsibility, uh, teaches them about freedom. For me, growing up with a dog, once my mom kind of gave me permission, uh, Shawnee, our German Shepherd at the time, and I were gone all summer together. We were down on, on, on the river in the woods, and we would spend all day uh, just Shawnee and I roaming around and Shawnee led the way. Um, she taught, she, you know, because I think the other thing we'll talk about later is dogs are so innately curious that she would lead me to things that I could, I, I, I couldn't see. She would lead me to things that, um, I would just walk over and pass by and we would spend most of our summers together. My, my dad used to complain that by the end of summer, we were wild animals, all of us, because all we did was come home for dinner, um, the dogs and I. Well, you were very lucky because yep. that was a kind of different time and you lived in a rural area, as did I. And it was it was like that. However, you know, even walking a dog in an urban setting, still they can teach us so much about um being curious about the natural life that's all around us. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, part of it, I mean, you have to step back and say we've become a much, a much more uh, urbanized, you know, uh, population. Um, we spend a lot of time on the couch. We don't get out a lot. And I think a dog does, is is so powerfully driven to get outside and walk. It's their, probably the most important thing to them in the day other than getting fed and getting treats. Um, and so just following that impulse of a dog, I, I say in the book that w whenever you're uncertain or you don't know what to do, take your dog for a walk. And by the end of the walk, you'll know if you're what you're worried about is either an inconvenience or a real tragedy. And I think one of the, one of the most important lessons that dogs teach us is to get outside ah, uh, to get outside yeah. of your apartment get outside of your house and even if it's you go to a city park or just around the block just getting outside is vitally important to, to not only the dog's health but to your health we're born to be outside we, we evolved to be outside we evolved to walk we evolved to run right and our, our dogs teach us that and can keep us motivated to do that I, maybe it was one of your blogs that I read uh, where it it's like the dog is like we read the newspaper daily on their walk. They're reading the news all the time. Oh, who oh, showed time. up yesterday and what's the right. news of this one? And it goes right. on and on. It's just wonderful. I, I, I just love it that they... It's just fine the way that they stop and and read the news. <laughs> right, 
Right. And be patient with that. Right. So uh, I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Hirsch Wilson, and he is the author of Firefighter Zen. That's one of his books, and which I love. And the other one is Dog Lessons, Learning the Important Stuff from Our Best Friends. And if you want to know about his work, go to his website, Hirsch Wilson dot com spells his name h e r s c h hirschwilson dot com or you can get there through the new dimensions website newdimensions.org i'm justine willis toms you're listening to new dimensions I'm here with Hirsch Wilson, and we're talking about the joys of having a dog, or I'll say cat, for all of those cat people. I mean, I know that there are something like 65 million households in the U.S. that have dogs as part of their their dwellings and their family, and and I think there's something 43 uh million have cats so cat people i don't want to leave you out of this conversation but let's talk i would love to talk about um the idea in getting a animal companion in your life whether to go to a breeder or to go to a shelter let's talk about that what sure. what are the advantages of both well um a couple of things we've done both uh, our Bernese Mountain Dogs were from a breeder. Um, and while we were doing that, my youngest daughter kept kept kind of trying to talk to us about the fact that the shelters were overrun with dogs um, and that we needed to stop buying dogs from breeders and, and start getting dogs uh, through shelters. Um, the, the good news, bad news, I mean, there's the problem with purebred dogs is they tend to be more susceptible to sickness, to disease. Um, so that's something to consider. I think the more overwhelming thing is that we have a crisis uh, with dog shelters in this country. And that from a moral point of view and an ethical point of view, um, it's better, it, and this is just my judgment, right? It's better to go to a shelter to get a dog. Um, and you could, you know, all kinds of, of varieties of dogs are there. Our last two dogs, Toby is from a shelter. He was returned to a shelter three or four times before we got him. And, and Maisie was a street dog that my daughter found abandoned. And ultimately we ended up adopting it, uh, adopting her. But I think the, if I could have one piece of advice, it would be go to the shelters, help us out because we're still euthanizing dogs in this country, which to me is a, a great crime. And it's not a, it's not the dog's fault. It's a human problem because we abandon dogs. We don't get dogs neutered or spayed. And we end up with having just dogs in shelters that are overwhelmed. So, so if you want a new dog, if you want a dog, 
go to the shelter. Well, let's talk about, okay, if if we go to a shelter, mm-hmm. we don't really know the background of this exactly, dog. It, exactly. It's like the first few months of a dog's life exactly. maybe is very impactful. So uh, training uh, a rescue dog, uh, talk about that. Help sure. us with that. Sure. So uh, I'll, I'll use Toby, our great Pyrenees, as an example. We have no idea about his background. When we adopted him, and brought him to our house, he wanted nothing to do with us. He just kind of scoped out the yard, scoped out the house, found a couch, and just sat there. Um, what we learned is that like a human being going ha- having a history of trauma, what they need is reliability, they need patience, they need a regular schedule. Um, and I think what I learned from both Toby and Maisie is that dogs are resilient. The first three months of a dog's life are crucially important, but they don't set in stone a dog's behavior. Um, dogs can bounce back, just like human beings can bounce back. They're resilient. They can become great pets, but it takes uh, it takes effort. It takes patience. It takes time uh, and time to be with them to really help them come around. But it's doable. And I think one of the great the great uh, myths is that. Once a dog has gone through those first three months. Now, there are cases if a dog has been abused, um, have been treated badly, that's a different story. But, for example, the shelter here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the Santa Fe Humane Society, they have a, set, they have a group of behaviorists who work with dogs and who help them become more sociable. Uh, so by the time they're ready to be put up for adoptions, they're all great dogs. And I volunteer at the shelter enough to know that uh, that even though shelters are traumatizing, the dogs are so happy to see people and so happy to inter- to interact with people, and just they're ready to be adopted. So um, it it is I think imperative as a society that we understand that and really look to shelters first rather than breeders to acquire okay. an animal, adopt an animal. So this takes me to the next um, idea sure. that I have is I think, okay, what if I adopt a dog from a shelter? Okay, how do I potty train that dog? I mean, I, I don't have a doggy door here where I right. live. They doubt that I, the right. dog would have to be on a leash where I live. They do have a, a potty place where I live where they mm-hmm. can do their duty, um, but how do we do that? What What's your advice about that? I think I think most shelter dogs, when they're when because dogs usually are adopted, or I mean they're brought to a shelter, they go through an intake uh, where they're where they're evaluated. What What does this dog need? They are then socialized and trained. So by the time they're ready on the adoption side, most of them are housebroken and uh, are, are ready to be in a house. Now, having said that, it's a traumatic time for a dog. Yeah. Um, especially if, if dogs have been returned to shelters or been to a shelter a long time. It takes patience and it takes a regular routine of taking a dog out, re-potty training them um, until they kind of become your dog. But the, I think the, the overall point is it's doable. It's not the end of the world. And, uh, and they are highly, highly resilient. So what I get from you is consistency, patience. Mm-hmm. And taking the time, um, and I know that you suggest that it's not about punishment; 
it, right. it's about reward. So kind right. of describe your thoughts on sure. that. Sure. So the the prevailing wisdom for a long time was that you punish bad behavior. I remember I was I was 10 or 11, and I was the one who took our German Shepherd, Shawnee, who was maybe a year old that time, to uh, a training facility, right? A class. And at the time, she had a, we put a choke collar on her, and if she did something bad, I was to yank the choke collar and take her down to the ground. Her, her ears would go down, her tail would tuck under, and she'd be afraid of me, right? And that, but that was the prevailing wisdom on how to train an animal. Um, since then, we've really understood that punishing an animal has all kinds of unintended consequences, like fear. And uh, I don't know about most dog owners, but I never want my dogs to be afraid of me. Um, so what works more, I think, what works better is positive reinforcement. Catching a dog doing something right, reinforcing it, and then distracting. So, like, if your dog jumps up on your mother-in-law, uh, have treats available so that you give the dog treats, and and the dog sees mother-in-law associates mother-in-law with treats that you give them, and and that'll that'll extinguish that behavior. But uh, punishment is just is just in general not a good solution to training. Okay, I'm thinking about another problem that I might sure. have. Okay. Um <laughs> as you're convincing me to get a dog in my mm-hmm. life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh what about barking? Uh that's natural to a dog. They're they they naturally are kind of right. um strangers come to the door. I have UPS and Amazon coming to the door right. all the time. Right. Dogs are gonna bark. You know, they're gonna bark. So I think. Um, we have to understand when a dog, it's natural for, because when a dog barks at the UPS person, it's, it's a warning saying, stranger here, stranger here, what do you want me to do? So I don't think that behavior is going to be easily extinguished. Um, now there are ways that you can get to know the UPS guy so that again, a dog sees UPS, associates uh, him or her with treats because you're giving them treats. So there's a way to distract a dog. From from barking, um, but I think the other thing is that to realize and, and to recognize when a dog barking because they're in distress, because they're they're upset, because they're scared, versus just kind of the warning bark that there's a stranger here. Right, right, right. So that that may or may not be a problem because like our UPS and. Amazon people, they're different every day, right, you know, and right. I don't actually even open the door. I just, they just drop the, right. where I live, they just drop the packages off. Same here. So yeah. uh, it, it's, it, they wouldn't even recognize that. But, but going on to, I I want to talk about preparing for disasters because more and more um of us are having to face, you know, whether it's floods or wildfires or, uh, oh gosh, Maui, that was so, so difficult in Maui. There was no warning. There was no preparing for that one. And I thought to myself, how many dogs and cats and gerbils and hamsters and snakes and fish and every you know all of birds and cages just perished in that fire mm, besides mm, all the people mm. or i'm thinking recently in morocco same thing i mean all the people who died suddenly but there are many of us that have 
at least a little bit of a warning that something might be coming. So tell us, what do you have to say about that? Well, we live in a in a wildfire area. So uh, in, in the Southwest, like in California, New Mexico is very prone to wildfires. Um, so we do a couple of things. First, we're very aware during the during the peak wildfire season what is going on. So having situational awareness, which means you're paying attention to what's going on, um, you're not oblivious. That's number one. That's the most important. Second, we have uh, an agreement in our family about in in a catastrophe if we're separated where we're going to meet, right? And then we have our our, our goal list. So we have a potion in our kitchen, a goal list of if we have if we have to get out in an hour, what we're going to take. And then another one that if we have four or five hours, if we're we have it's called ready set go in New Mexico, and each one you know ready means you you might have a day to, to have to evacuate, go means you have to go now, uh, or set means you have to get ready to go in in four hours or less. And our, our number one in our priorities is take the dogs, get the dogs in the car. That's our number one thing. Um, and then because everything else in our house we can replace. But we know we needed to get you know, keep our dogs safe, and and we're extraordinarily lucky because my wife and I are both firefighters, so we have that kind of natural situation awareness, and uh, we live in an area where we we have an escape route. But I think it's it's having a pre plan, um, knowing where your dogs are or horses are. You know, we have we have lots of horses in our area, and and if if there's an imminent fire, you need to have your trailer ready. You need to have your truck, you know, your truck hooked up to your trailer and ready to get the horses to go. So it's all that kind of pre-planning that's the most important. Exactly. And you need to be able to have your, let's say, dogs or animals be used to getting in the car. You, yep. you don't want yep. to, you know, that's one thing. And I know I had to evacuate not too long ago, I mean, several years ago. And um, I realized that I didn't have my kitty care my my kitty carrying case, case it was yeah. in deep storage right. now i and now well i don't have a cat now but now i have it like readily available these are some of the things we have to think about i'm here with hirsch wilson and we're talking about our animal companions and how we can be guardians of them in a better way i'm justine willis toms you're listening to new dimensions I'm here with Hirsch Wilson, and we're talking about our animal companions. And I know that you speak about how 
dogs, I mean, and probably cats too, they mirror our emotional state. And you as a firefighter, you you often talk about stay calm, <laughs> stay calm. And here we're, we're living in very tumultuous times and challenging times. Mm-hmm. It's hard to stay calm. Mm-hmm. So uh, give us the advice about how animals reflect us. And when they're acting out, maybe we need to look at ourselves. Absolutely. Uh, Temple Grandin, who is an animal behaviorist uh, and writes a lot about uh, uh, about this topic. She says, if you want your dog to be calm, you need to be calm. Uh, because dogs reflect back and are kind of charged by our emotions. So to your point, it's like uh, the first thing we need to do is look at ourselves. So my uh, example that we I always use is if we're on a walk with our dogs and all of a sudden up ahead of us is another couple with their dogs, um, if we get excited and get nervous, right, and pick up Maisie because we're afraid she's going to start barking, well, our dogs are going are gonna to ramp up because they think that we're we're afraid and they need to protect us. But if we're calm and we have a treat bag and treats are going on the ground, and so treats are kind of falling from the sky, it's you have a higher probability of our dogs being relaxed and being okay. And it, you know, it's with our guys, it's a work in progress. So we've gotten to the point where. If we have people walking and I have treats and I'm calm, everything's fine. We're still working on other dogs. When there's other dogs involved, that's still kind of a, a work in progress. But it starts with us being calm. Right. There's a wonderful story. Um, whether you have so many stories in in the book, Dog Lessons. I, I just I just love this book. And there are so many stories, and one of the stories is, is well, first of all, um, you've been accused by your daughters in your life of being what they call sizest, right? Uh, right. That you had a prejudice about small dogs. Right. How did you get over that? Well, so I grew. I always I grew up with big dogs. I grew up with German Shepherds and then Bernese Mountain Dogs. And then uh, my daughter, who at the time was a medical student, uh, her roommate adopted a Shih Tzu, um, a small dog. You could hold it, in, you know, comfortably in both hands. And um, I was just terrified of the Shih Tzu because I was afraid you'd step on step on her or lose her. Oh, oh my God, you couldn't take her outside because a hawk would get her. So that was my prejudice. My daughter, Bryn kept bringing Tallulah over to our house. And we finally got together. We finally, I finally got a chance to know Tallulah, kind of interact with her and realize she was incredibly cute <laughs> and, <laughs> and very friendly. So I, so I kind of thawed. And then um, what happened with Maisie, Maisie was a street dog that was wandering around Bryn's neighborhood and Bryn rescued her as Bryn often does, rescued her. And um, she could not keep it. She had a, another, she had Tallulah and she had a cat named Clover. So she couldn't have another dog in the house because she was a resident at that time. So she talked, you know, she talked, she called her mom, as you often do in these situations. And the moms and the daughters decided that we should adopt Maisie. So Maisie came in as a 12 pound Chihuahua Terrier mix. And she was like any rescue dog. She was terrified at first. She would growl when we tried to pick her up. 
she was shake uh, sitting on the couch and and we had to be patient with her and I had to be patient with her and then everybody realized that I really love Maisie and um, being with Maisie during the you know at night she'd sleep with us and taking her on walks was the highlights of my day so I yeah. you know I I lost my prejudice she won you over she won and me over. she has a heart of a big dog and Ridiculous. you tell this great story of um she and Toby uh, a big Toby is a Bernice too no, no, Toby's a Great Pyrenees. A Great Pyrenees. Right. Toby, this Great Pyrenees, and there's a little tiny Maisie. Uh, you're on a walk, and the story of the coyotes. Right. So we were walking. We have coyotes in New Mexico all over. They're ubiquitous. But we were walking, and uh, two coyotes jumped out on the road and started following us pretty close. And small dogs are susceptible to coyotes. It's a dangerous thing. So our dogs were barking, barking, barking. Toby was hollowing. And then they wrapped their leashes around my legs, and I dropped Maisie's leash. She went chasing the coyotes up in Arroyo uh, with her dragging her leash. So the only thing I could do was kind of release the kraken, which was <laughs> release Toby and hope hope he would save Maisie. So he went up the Arroyo barking and howling. And then I chased him up the Arroyo, and I couldn't find either one of them. So I'm just yelling for Maisie. You know, yelling her name, yelling her name. And then she came running to me uh, with her leash still on, jumped up at me as if to say, I beat them, Dad. I have conquered the coyotes. And uh, so she was fine. And then Toby came back like a couple of minutes later saying, you know, mischief sorted, got rid of them. And so we were <laughs> fine. But it was it was a traumatic couple of minutes because I thought I was going to lose Maisie. Exactly. But you really vividly gave us a picture of the countenance of both of the dogs, like Maisie's. She communicated with her tail wagging or yep. her expression yep. on her face, yep. like, boy, I did it. I, I just it. chased a whole her, uh, pack of coyotes right. and aren't right. I right. brave. And this is what dogs do. I mean, yes. they really... We're able to read them, and they are able to read us. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's like a mutual conversation that's happening. I'm I'm thinking of um, the moment when um, Bren was first born, and you had several, um, at that time, uh, Bernice Mountain Dogs. And you were going to bring the baby home, and that that was concerning in some way. I mean, here these dogs are part of your family, and now you're going to bring this new member. And so, how did you bring Bryn home, and how did you do that? Sure. Well, first of all, my mom, my mom was very nervous about us having a, a brand new baby with three dogs in living in the wilderness. Um, and she was not happy that, you know, because uh, a lot of people at that time would have gotten rid of their dogs. Um, but we you just, mean we with a new baby that. coming with in a new at baby that time. Coming yeah. in. Right. We could never do that. So what happened was we drove home that day and Lori got out of the car holding Bryn. And I was kind of surrounding Lori and Bryn. And the dogs came up and they just sniffed. Right. They were fine. They tried to jump up a little bit because there was something, something new. But then we brought them into the house, and Lori sat down cross-legged on the floor, 
and put Brinny on her lap. It's a little baby, little, little infant. And the dogs just laid down on the floor and just sniffed, right? And that's when I, I went from like paranoid new father, totally paranoid new father, to knowing it was going to be okay. And and I think what happened later was um, uh, Zuni, our dog at the time, just realized his new role was to be with Bryn. So he would follow her as she became a toddler and a six-year-old. He would just follow her everywhere. And they would race up and down the hallway. When we went out to the garden, he would always be right next to Bryn all the time, which was, uh, I, I think, typical of a dog when there's a, a, an infant in the house. Having said that, um, it's all, it's an important thing to remember to never leave a child, a young child, alone with a dog, right? That's just because kids have no boundaries and they'll, they'll pull tails and stuff like that and they might get bit. So never leave a child alone with a dog. But our dogs were just gracious, loving, and protective. First, that caution is really, really important. And mm-hmm. so I'm underlining that. Mm-hmm. It's like being responsible as being as responsible. the adult member of the family, right. being right. responsible. And, right. and then secondly, the attitude that you had when Bryn was this baby and how Lori, your wife, you both were very calm. You, right. I don't know if it's your Zen practice that, that helped you to just sort of breathe deeply and be very aware of what was going on, being prepared if you needed to intervene, but you were calm. Does that have something to do with it? Absolutely. And I think I think the message we're the doctor sending us is we'll be calm if you're calm. Right. And and Lori did a magnificent job as a new mom. Because uh, there's nothing like being a brand new mom. There's just nothing in the world like being a brand new mom. But she did just a great job of being calm, of sitting down, of just emanating love for her dogs and for her new baby. And I think that just calmed the dogs down right away. And they were fine. They're they're smart. They're really smart and they're very empathic. They get it right away. That's right. When you said emanating love, it's like they pick that up empathically. I love it that you said that they're empathic because I totally believe that, that they we can think something and they're just right there with us on it. And we've seen, heard, and read many, many, many stories. Hirsch, I just want to thank you so much for being with us today and helping us to understand and be more receptive to having more dogs in our families and cats too, but dogs in our families. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I've been here with Hirsch Wilson, and he is the author of Firefighter Zen and his newest book, Dog Lessons, Learning the Important Stuff from Our Best Friends. And if you want to know more about his work and his blogs, uh, follow him on hirschwilson.com. And he spells his last name H-E-R-S-C-H, hirschwilson.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3,797. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. 
You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.